morning we'll be back in Hebrews 11 and we will end Hebrews 11 with this sermon. Maybe just tap into chapter 12 just a little bit. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to preach. Thank you for the opportunity for our church to sit under the teaching of your word openly. Lord, I pray that as we learn your word, that your spirit would be active in changing us so that we may be closer to you, that our faith would increase. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Faith, we have talked a lot about faith, haven't we? Past three or four Sundays. And we end with this last section of faith. Faith is what saves us in the new covenant and faith is what saved those in the old covenant. It's still just as vital and I hope that you are convinced by the preaching here and by God's spirit that faith needs to increase if we're going to have any hope for our city, any hope for our own Christian walk, faith is vital to all of it. The writer of Hebrews, as he continues on in chapter 11, we finished up with Moses crossing the Red Sea, and we move on to the walls of Jericho in verse 30. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, Put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts, and mountains, and in dens, and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. There's only one thing I'm going to disagree with the writer of Hebrews about, and that is that time would fail him. He only had so much he could write. But fortunately... We have a lot more we can say. So we're going to review some of these people of faith. Because the point here is to encourage the faithful's heart. If you think about the position that the church of Jerusalem was in, the message of the gospel was spreading. And unfortunately, it wasn't favorably received. The Jews were more than happy to side, the Jewish leadership was more than happy to side with the Roman government in condemning this new religion. And there was temptation to go back into the temple and just kind of blend in with, 
with that, to, to make amends with the priest and say, yeah, sorry about that, we'll, we'll keep sacrificing. He wants to encourage them with the saints of old who had the same faith that they did. Jesus was often discouraged in his ministry, wasn't he? Discouraged with the, the vivid reality of the lack of faith with everybody he came across. He said, oh, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? Faith, trusting God, believing God, will he find faith on the earth? So he gives these more examples. Jericho, right? And Joshua. And then the mention of Rahab in Joshua chapter 2 reminds us that faith, the faith of a, of a woman who was not a saint by any stretch of the imagination, she had a, a dark way of living, uh, of making a living. She was a prostitute in Jericho. And yet when the news came of the Israelites, when the spies came in and she kept them in her house, kept them safe, hid them away, she said, I've heard about, our whole city's heard about the Red Sea being parted before you, about all the kingdoms that you've destroyed. Everywhere you go, you crush anyone who comes against you. And our hearts melted. But the difference was she sided with the right team as a response. Everyone else their heart melted, but they, they weren't going to change. They weren't going to surrender to Israel. And so she hid the spies. And the king of Jericho himself sends a message to her that says, hey, we know these spies are in here to spy out the land. You know, just give them up to us. She responds, hey, I didn't know they were spies. I don't know where they went. You should probably go look for them. Right? Well, she hid him away. She wasn't afraid even of her own king. See, in faith, even when it works out better for you to side with what you already know, faith causes you to not fear the ruling authorities in that time. And you side with the people of God. She had no background. She wasn't worshiping in the tabernacle. And yet God gave her faith, this prostitute. How offensive to the Jewish leadership. How offensive, right? And yet it was faith. It was always faith. Apart from the law, apart from the old covenant system, it was faith that saved Rahab. And it's faith that saved us, right, from our sinful lifestyle and brought us near the cross. Faith redeems faith delivers, goes on. Joshua was told to circle the city seven times. We know that story. And after the seventh time, the people shout, and the walls will come down. You just got to trust me, Joshua. And he did, and they did. The people of God had faith. They marched around that city confident. Confident Why? Because they had already seen God win one battle after another. They couldn't be beat. And so when they shouted after that seventh time around, the wall came down. And if any of you went to Israel or have taken advantage of that trip, you got to see the ruins of Jericho. You got to see the pots that were kind of used to rebuild the wall later on. A testimony of God's power. 
Faith delivers. Faith is victorious. It takes down nations. Verse 32. And what more shall I, I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon. Gideon. The story of Gideon. What an amazing story. He has a formidable army of about 32,000, I think. Then he says, uh, God says, that's too big. Go tell anybody who, uh, anybody who doesn't want to fight, they can go home. They don't have to fight the army of 135,000, right? Go ahead. It's okay. No problem. Go ahead and go. So they go. Still too big. Take them down to the river. Have them start getting some water. Anybody who puts their face in the water like a dog, you can tell them to go home. Anybody who picks up the water and drinks out of their hand, they can stay. Pairs it down to about 300 fellas. See, this is an example of what faith does, right? Faith causes us to believe God and see things that otherwise would never be seen, but we trusted God and we saw something amazing, impossible. The 300 guys follow the example that God gives of a battle plan which consists of a pitcher, a torch, and a trumpet. They surround the army of the Midianites. They smash the, the, the pitchers with the torches. The light comes out. They, they blow the trumpets. They say, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And an army of 135,000 Midianites slaughters themselves right in front of them. And they're just holding the light up so they can see. Right? Whoa. Wow, look at that. I don't think that those guys, I honestly don't know that they were even afraid. By the 300, by the time they were 300, to march into that battle anyway, you either had to be crazy or you had to be full of faith, right? So I don't know that anybody was really afraid. I think they knew exactly. They trusted God through Gideon. They smashed the jars and they got to see God do something through faith. There are things in your life which you have not seen because you and I don't have faith. And we need increased faith. Barak, maybe that one's not as popular, maybe not, most of us don't know about Barak, but Barak was the general under Deborah, the judge. Deborah said, Barak, I'm going to, God says, mount up the troops, you're going to march your infantry, and you're going to defeat Sisera, the general of a Canaanite chariot division, 900 iron chariots, which if you know anything about the conquest of Canaan, iron chariots were the reason that that's given why they didn't take over the Philistines. But Canaan had 900 iron chariots, which is virtually like an infantry against a tank. 900 tanks, right? Odds aren't good. But he was obedient. Deborah says, go. He says, well, I won't go without you. She says, okay, I'll go. But I'll go with you, but the, the general, Sisera, won't fall into your hands. He'll be killed by a woman. Whatever, right? So, okay. So we go in, they route out the chariots, the chariots are unable to, to overcome them, so they flee, and then Sisera, the general, gets the bright idea, he's going to jump off his chariot and let, the, let it just, his horses just keep following the other horses, and they do, and he runs off into this little dwelling, and he comes by the, the tent of Jael, and Jael says, come in here, come in here, it's okay, I'll keep you safe. So good, good, he comes in and he lays, she lays some blankets over him, makes him feel safe. Right? He says, I'm thirsty. Give me some water. He says, have some milk. Right? Nothing to put a fellow to sleep like a nice warm glass of milk. 
So he goes to sleep. Before he sleeps, he says, if anybody comes to the tent and asks if I'm here, say no. He passes out. He's so tired and he passes out so hard, he doesn't feel a tent peg touch his temple and get driven through his head into the dirt on the other side. Have the kids in Sunday school draw that one. They won't forget it. You want to get boys real interested in Sunday school, that's a good story. They like that one. And the Bible says after the tent peg went through his head, he died. Headed by the hands of a woman. These are stories of faith. These are things that couldn't happen unless God says they're going to happen. And when we trust the word of God, we see things that otherwise couldn't happen happen. It's got nothing to do with the power a person has or the intelligence they have or the spiritualness that they have or whatever. Really has nothing to do with you. That's the point of faith. Jephthah. Oh, yep. Before I get to Jephthah, we'll talk about Samson. Samson, we love Samson, don't we? I used to love, I, you know, my name is Samuel, but I always wished my mom and dad used to call me Samson. I wish they would name me Samson instead of Samuel because I always saw Samuel as, you know, just an old prophet. But Samson was like Superman. I mean, God comes to Samson. He says, or he comes to Samson's parents. Um, his mother's barren. She can't have children. He says, I'm going to give you someone special, and you're going to make that child a Nazarene from birth. Don't drink any fruit of the vine because this is going to be a child for me. Don't touch a razor to his head. Let him grow that hair out long because he is a Nazarene from birth. Very, very um, special individual. We don't see anybody quite like Samson in the Bible, do we? Well, out of impure motives or pure motives, when the Holy Spirit rushed upon Samson, he could tear things apart. He killed a thousand men with a donkey of a, of a, of a, a donkey of a, the jaw of a donkey. A thousand men. And when he was exhausted, he said, God, I'm going to die of thirst. You need to give me some water. God opened up the earth and water poured out for him to drink. By faith. He was unstoppable. His sole purpose in life was to cause trouble with the Philistines. That's all he did. That's all he did. He, they solve his riddle by cheating. So he goes into town and, you know, takes out a bunch of people and robs them of the, of the garments that they own for solving the riddle. Goes in, gives them, gives them the stuff. He leaves, comes back. They've married off his wife to somebody else. So he ties up 300 foxes, tails around some torches, sends them out. This stuff sounds impossible, isn't it? It is impossible. Those were impossible things. How do you catch a fox? Right? you got to be pretty fast or a really great trapper. Right? He catches the foxes, ties some torches onto their tails, and then the, all the grain fields are torched. So what do the Philistines do? They get the bright idea to take this guy's uh, wife right, and kill her. Like, that's going to end well. So he ends up slaughtering a bunch of people. They try to capture him one time because he goes to a prostitute's house. This is not a great person, Samson, by the way. The backdrop that comes behind faith is always that these people were not always good people. But when faith was at work, when the Spirit of God was at work, amazing things happen. He picks up the gates of the city, bar and all, post and all, picks it up and carries it up the hill and sets it on the, sets it on the top of the mountain. Only one person could do that, Samson, Right? And he ends up killing more people in his last victory. After they gouge his eyes out, he prays, Lord, Lord, just give me the strength one more time. Let me do it. 
And God does. Pushes the pillars down. And he has one last victory. Samson was not a super guy. But that's not what's highlighted here, is it? What's highlighted here is the faith of Samson. How about Jephthah? Maybe you don't remember the name, but I bet you remember the story. He's the general who killed, he took out a bunch of Ammonites and took out 23 cities. He promised the Lord, the first thing that comes out of my house, I'm going to slaughter. This was a vow that he made that God didn't ask him to make, right? He gives him the victory in faith. He comes home, and then the first thing that walks out of the door is his only child, who's his daughter. Again, these guys weren't so bright, okay? He tells his daughter, well, I have to, I have made a vow, right? And for all intents and purposes, the indication there in the scripture is that after two months of her mourning, she goes in and he offers her as a burnt offering to God. Not a very nice dad, right? A better dad maybe would have said, Lord, I made a mistake in vowing. I'll take whatever punishment I've got coming to me, right? But his honor was at stake. So he burns his daughter. Amazing. And yet, these guys are highlighted men of faith. What am I trying to say here? I'm trying to say that if you feel ill-equipped, you're in a good place. Okay? If you feel ill-equipped to do the ministry of God, to see things through, to share the gospel with people, you feel like a coward, you feel like someone who's not eloquent of speech, you don't pray enough, you're not strong enough, it's okay. This is where faith exemplifies itself. This is where faith lives. It lives amongst the weak, the feeble. That's where it lives. And if we increase our faith, we'll see things happen that we will otherwise never see. He goes on. David and Samuel. David. Don't we just love David? A man after God's own heart. A man after God's own heart. In, in that song we sang, remember? In, in Be Thou My Vision. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Heart of my own heart. David was a man after God's own heart. He loved God so much, he'd sit out there and he'd just trust in faith when a, when a lion or a bear came and tried to steal away his sheep. He'd conquer them with a staff and delivered, he delivered with his bare hands, a, you know, a sheep out of the mouth of a lion. He knew very well the power of God through him. He was just an average teenage guy. There was nothing special about David. And yet he trusted God in those fields and he worshiped the Lord amongst the sheep. And he goes to bring his brother some food. And the audacity of this uncircumcised giant is out there taunting the armies of God. Now here's someone who fellowships and worships God every day. He loves God. He's enamored with the Lord. And this guy has the audacity to, to, to take God's name through the mud. His brothers accuse of him just, you know, piping off, you know. He says, is there not a cause? So the king gets word of it, brings David in. So you're willing to fight this guy, huh? Maybe Saul is just like, well, he sure has got the, the gumption. He says, I've, you know, he says, well, try my armor on. He can't, doesn't fit. You know, he says, you know, I only need my staff and my sling. I've, I've, I've defeated 
much heavier enemies than this guy. Trust me. So he sends them out. He sends them out. And then in 1 Samuel chapter 17, we have this amazing record. Now, Goliath, who's nine feet tall, sees this shepherd coming out to him. And if you've ever seen pictures, you can look that up on Google, pictures of like Afghan or, uh, you know, shepherd boys. You're getting a picture of what David might have looked like. Not very impressive. He comes out with a staff and a sling, you know. Philistine moved forward and came near David with his shield bearer in front of him. He's ready to really do battle with a champion. And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance, right? Ew. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and of the beasts of the field. Wrong thing to say to David. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly we know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. A lot of, that's a lot of big talk. When the Philistine arose and came and drew near to David, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in his bag and took out a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell to the earth with his face to the ground. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine, took his sword, drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. Then the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, and they fled. That's great. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? It's amazing to hear those stories. We're like, wow, what faith. I mean, he ran at a giant. Not because he's confident in himself or his aim. He was confident in the Lord. He's like, watch what happens when somebody taunts God. This guy's going to get embarrassed. People are going to be talking about this forever. Some worthless little scrawny shepherd boy just took out the greatest champion of the Philistines. Why? Because he mocked God, and God will not be mocked. And he believed it. He believed it. You can tell when people believe things. Their life reflects their belief. Amazing things can be seen through faith. Of Samuel. Such a cool story of Samuel, isn't it? He's dedicated to the Lord as a young man. He's laying, about to fall asleep, and, and he hears from the, from the Lord, Samuel. He gets up, right? Goes into Eli, says, My Lord, you called me? He said, I didn't call you. Oh, okay. Goes to sleep, right? Happens again. Samuel gets up. I'm sure you called me. I didn't call you. Okay. Goes to sleep. Samuel gets up, okay, goes in there. He says, 
Eli finally says, you know, it's probably the Lord. It could be the Lord. If it is the Lord, just say, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. Okay. So he goes back in and lays down. And sure enough, Samuel, speak, Lord, for your servant listens. And God made Samuel the voice, his voice to his people for many, 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 many years. He served as judge and prophet of the greatest prophet that Israel had ever seen. But he wasn't perfect. He had about the same effectiveness as a father as Eli did. His kids were terrible. Samuel's kids. But the faith of Samuel made him unwavering. He told Saul, Saul, God wants you to wipe out the Amalekites. Every single one of them, don't take any spoil. What's Saul do? Doesn't wipe out all the Amalekites, take spoil, take spoil. Kill all the livestock. What's this? Why do I hear the, the bleeding of sheep? Right? Well, the people wanted to keep the best for the Lord, so, you know, we can make an exception. You know? God sees our heart, right? God, God could see that we really cared for him in that. We had a better plan, right? This is how we do it. No, when God tells you to do something, you do it. Like he said to do it. Because his way is the way. It's not an option to do it any other way. And so the Amalekite king comes in right on cue, right? Surely the bitterness of death has passed, right? <laughs> How's it going, everybody? He's just happy to be alive. Samuel sees him, and what he sees is disobedience, the disobedience of Saul, and he shows Saul, okay, let me show you what God intended you to do. Takes the sword and hacks him to pieces. That's really disturbing, isn't it? That's faith. Faith is always obedient. It doesn't accept compromise worship. It doesn't accept a compromise. When someone comes to you and they say, well, you know, we're Christian, but, you know, I like to get drunk every now and then. Just me and my wife. It's okay. We're together. No. I'm sorry. The Bible's pretty clear that you shall not be drunk with wine. You shouldn't get drunk. We shouldn't accept unholy living out of another Christian. Do we beat them? No. We bring them back to the truth. Why? Because just like it says in Hebrews, our God is a consuming fire. There should be reverence for God in our worship. That's what faith does. It desires to follow God completely. Not a custom Christianity that you've created. I hear that all the time in my barbershop. I hear it all the time. Right? And I'm sure you've heard it too. It's hilarious. The guys will come in, they'll sit down, they'll say, well, you know, my, my church is out there on my horse in the middle of nowhere. You know what I say? So you know I'm a pastor, right? They're like, yeah. I said, I don't buy that. That is total hogwash, what you just told me. You don't worship God on your horse. You just said that because it sounded good and maybe your dad said it. But that's not true. Maybe some of you are like, well, I worship God in that way. No, you don't. The church, okay, is the design, is the program that Jesus established. There's not a separate type of worship for you in your fishing boat or on your snowmobile. Don't make that what it isn't. You see what I'm saying? Faith causes us to desire to worship God 
correctly as he intends to be worshipped. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the custom of some. And the prophets, oh the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. David cast into a lion's den. And why? He refused to compromise. Faith causes us to refuse to compromise. You have a way you worship, and maybe at one point somebody's going to say, you really shouldn't do those things. It's offensive to people. But you know that you're just following God. You're going to keep doing them because you don't fear anyone but God. No one but God you fear. And so he continues to pray three times a day, even though some, some enemies of God tried to trap him by by tricking the king into making an edict that would say only pray to the king. And the king regretted it. As soon as he heard about Daniel, he thought, oh, Daniel, I forgot about Daniel. And, he, and as he cast him in, he says, oh, Daniel, may your God deliver you. And they roll the stone over, and for all intents and purposes, the faithless king is certain that Daniel's done for. God shut the mouth of those lions. And Daniel slept, I suppose, on a lion pillow. I don't know. Soundly. And so when they brought the, the king comes back and rolls the, 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 the door away from the mouth of that den. He says, oh, Daniel, did your God deliver you? He says, oh, king, live forever. The sweetest words that the king could have heard. God delivered his prophet. And by that, he was so encouraged with Daniel being alive and probably an equal fear of God in that moment that he says, you three guys, you, you're going in. All the guys that made that evil edict in the first place, they're getting torn up, them and their families. Those lions were so hungry, especially smelling Daniel all night probably. Right? They were ready to eat, man. They've been salivating all night. Finally, they got to eat. Faith delivers us. Faith can deliver. But if someone has faith, they really don't care if they're delivered or not. Because the compromise is not an option. Therefore, you have those who quench the power of fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar gets the bright idea to build an image that everyone's going to bow down to because he says so, because he's the king. Maybe he's getting a little intimidated by this Yahweh character that Daniel kept talking about. So he decides to build a giant image. And when they play the music, everyone bows down. And everyone, he can say, look at them all bowing down to my religion. But three men didn't. And once again, there's always some naysayers or some enemies of the Lord who turn in these three guys for not bowing down. They stand before the king. He's like, all right, we're going to strike up the music again. Then you're going to bow down. They say, king, we don't have to think about this. We're not going to bow down. He heats up this furnace seven times. And they say, King, look, our God has the power to deliver us from the fire. Even if he doesn't, though, know this. Let this be written on our tombstone. We will not bow down. They said that to the most powerful ruler in the known world. We're not doing what you're telling me to do because it's against what the Lord says. 
that's what faith does. Throws him in, sure enough, delivered. The only thing that burned was the ropes that bound him. Nebuchadnezzar looks in and sees there's another person in there, fourth, who looks like the son of the gods. And he says, hey, aren't you guys, come on out of there. Just you three, though. That other guy can stay, right? They come out, and what's it do? Nebuchadnezzar rejoices and praises the Lord. He sees the effect of faith, and, it, and I believe we're going to see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven one day based on his testimony in Daniel chapter 5, I believe it is. That's what faith does. It delivers. But even if it doesn't deliver, those who have faith, they don't care. They don't care. How do I know that? Women received their dead back by resurrection, right? Elisha and Elijah both did that. Some were tortured, refused to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Okay, Sam, all that other stuff, beating giants and getting delivered from lions and fire. I like that part of faith. But what's all this about torture, right? I don't know about that per se. If I could have the one half of the cake and not the other, I think that would be best for me. Well, it turns out that faith, the power of faith, get this, causes you to endure with joy. With joy. That's the power of faith. Others suffered mocking and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. See, people didn't think that they were, they were worthy. But in God's eyes, the world wasn't worthy of those who'd been driven out because of their holiness, their non-compromise, their message. Right now, it's, it's kind of easy to be a Christian in the United States of America. You can try to say it's hard. Maybe in your job, you'd, if you shared it, you know, maybe they'd think it would get awkward and maybe they'd fire you. I don't think you can name on one hand how many people have been fired in Wyoming for sharing the gospel. I had a woman one time when I was working at the bus garage, when I was going through seminary. There's a girl I was working with, and she was so mad, so angry that I had the audacity to share truth with her and tell her she was wrong, that she marched into my boss's office and screamed at him and said, never put me on a bus with that guy again. She was a bus aide, and I was a driver, right? And she didn't act all mad in the moment. It was when she was walking away, she must have gotten really angry. And I didn't hear a word about it. I don't know. It's crazy. But if you were to get fired for sharing the gospel, you could endure suffering. Either way, it's a win-win with faith. We can't lose with faith. But get this. Without faith, we will buckle under pressure. We'll buckle under pressure. We're weak. We'll bow to the tyranny that's over us. But if we prepare our hearts in faith now, before things get worse, and they will get worse, then Laramie Valley Chapel can be a beacon of faith. Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on the earth? I hope he finds it with LVC. 
I hope he finds it with us. We won't see this community change if we don't pray for faith. We won't. Your quiet Christian life, where if somebody happens to maybe ask you about Christ, maybe, then maybe you might share, but, eh, right? That's got to end, okay? We, can, we operate on so much more power than that. We don't have to be drug along in our Christianity, okay? You don't have to be like, oh, show up to church, so I'm good, right, God? Show up to church, maybe you read your Bible every once in a while, just kind of drag along. When you could be leading the charge, you could be dangerous in the kingdom of God. You can be dangerous. Why? Because Jesus promised it. He said, I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. The gates of hell. Nothing is safe from us when we operate in faith. Nothing. The same faith that the patriarchs had to not only see things happen that couldn't otherwise happen, but also endure suffering with joy, that same faith we have in a new covenant. All these things, though commended, all these, all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. They should not be made perfect. The faith that they had, the 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 yearning that they had of Abraham looked forward, right? Never receiving what he had been promised, but looking forward under the promises that one day all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. They're realized through the ministry of Jesus Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith, through his church. All these great stories, they're incomplete without your story, without my story. You see? Now, does that mean that I'm responsible for that? No, I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ following the direction of the Holy Spirit sent by Christ to be obedient in our time. We don't want to just exist as Christians. If you have the idea that you're just trying to exist and survive, just trying to not do a lot of bad things, when trouble comes, I promise you, you'll be the first one to leave. You won't endure. Because the only thing that can help you endure is faith. It's the only thing. Faith is the only thing that's saved. But when we have increased faith as Christians, we have everything. In the new covenant, we have Jesus Christ. We have the Holy Spirit who communes with us. The interesting thing about the ministry of the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament is it might come in every once in a while, but it always left. Samson was filled with the Spirit, but then the Spirit would leave. Right? Jesus said, until I go, the Spirit can't come. The Helper can't come. We've got everything going for us. You know? We have the Holy Spirit convicting the whole world of sin, of righteousness, and judgment. You don't even have to convict people. God does that for us. We just get up in the morning and we're serious about God's word. There's a couple of other people not mentioned in this text that I'd like to mention. Uh, not biblical characters. But there's still an encouragement to our faith. Anybody ever heard of George Mueller? George Mueller was a missionary to England from Germany. And George Mueller um, 
was a pastor there. He'd been sent there. He wasn't always a great guy. He often stole from his own parents. He would show up to Bible studies just to make fun of Christians. That was his thing. He got a lot of kicks from that. Right? You think, what a horrible person. I knew a guy like that named Andy Bastian. Some of you guys remember Andy Bastian. He got saved. He's sitting under the teaching of God's word, and all of a sudden he knew he was going to hell. Rabid atheist. Knew he was going to hell. Knew he deserved it. And then he saw the glory of the gospel for the first time. Amazing. George Mueller was kind of like that. He goes to a, a Bible study. Turns out everyone there is a sincere believer. And a week later, he gives his heart to the Lord. George Mueller, normal guy. Okay? Not anything special about George Mueller. He goes, starts a church in London, or takes over probably a church in London, and then he's walking the streets and he sees some orphans. There's a lot of orphans in London at that time because there's a lot of prostitution in London. And these women would have these children if they were kind enough not to abort them, and these kids would just exist on the streets or in these poorhouses. And the boys would often go into crime and die young, and the little girls would go into prostitution, and it broke his heart. God moved on George Mueller, and he said, Lord, if you would have me do this, then I'll never ask a dime for it. I trust that you will provide for all of it. That's what he said to God. And you say, well, that seems a little presumptuous. Well, actually, George Mueller was acting in faith. How do we know that? We see the results, right? He starts his orphanage. There was a time when they had 300 little kids, hungry little kids. They get them dressed in the morning, and the maid says, well, sir, the kids are dressed, but they have nothing to eat. He says, okay, we'll get them down to the table, an empty table. They set the plates out, and they all pray. And they all thank God for the meal that they're about to receive. And there's a knock on the door after they pray. <laughs> and it's the baker. He says, George, I, I haven't been able to sleep all night. God just put on my heart that the children need bread. I made three batches. Can I bring them in? Sure. Then the milkman knocks on the door. He says, my wagon just broke down outside the door. All this milk's going to spoil. You want some free milk? And there was just enough. For 300 thirsty little kids. It's estimated that George Mueller prayed in the equivalent of half a billion dollars in his lifetime. And he never asked anyone for money. Wow. You know what's cooler than that story? Being George Mueller. <laughs> That's cooler than that story. Can you imagine being George Mueller? Thinking, oh man, look at those little hands. And trusting God's going to provide no matter what he does. What an amazing thing. What an amazing testimony. George Mueller was nothing special. He was just somebody who trusted God. He trusted if God wanted him to do it, then God would provide, and he did. 10,000 children went through that orphanage. He started, like, I think it was over like 117 schools on top of that. He always wanted to be a missionary. He always wanted to travel the world and be a missionary. In the last years of his life, he got so famous for his faith that he ended up getting carted around the nation on a display. Got to meet the president of the United States, even. I want to see things like that. But I don't just get it by wanting it. 
There's a great poem by Isaac Watts that I would like to share. It says, Am I a soldier of the cross, a follower of the Lamb? And shall I fear to own his cause or blush to speak his name? Must I be carried to the skies on flowery beds of ease, while others fought to win the prize and sailed through bloody seas? Are there no foes for me to face? Must I not stem the flood? Is this vile world a friend to grace to help me on to God? Sure, I must fight if I would reign. Increase my courage, Lord. I'll bear the toil, endure the pain, supported by thy word. That's what faith does. Are you on the team or what? Are you on the team? Because if you're not, I could ask you to do no more horrible thing than pretend to be a Christian. My friend Mike and I were talking about this. It's so true. If you don't have the grace of God because you're not a Christian, you're just floating through here, and you try to do this, it's a lot like trying to be a fullback who's blind. Right? That would be a terrible existence. Right? You're trying to run play after play, and all you feel is opposition, and people are like, the goal line's right there. you got to go for it. Right? And you're like, you're just getting beat up. But we love the example of the fullback because the fullback is the one who works the hardest every play. Boom, boom, every time. Three yards in a cloud of dust. He's bruised, he's bleeding, he looks up and he sees the goal line. He looks down and says, oh yeah, three yards. Let's do it again, right? That's his heart because he's going to win. They're going to get a goal. And the coach is going to be proud when he goes to the sidelines and says, well done. You really worked it. Well done. We hear well done when we have faith. We see things we wouldn't otherwise see. Where's your faith? Where's my faith? Spurgeon, Charles Spurgeon, got his first church when he was nine, well, his second church, by the time he was 19 years old, it was the largest church in London. 19. He's called the Prince of Preachers, probably the most influential preacher that's ever been through England. Amazing. He'd preach to 10,000 people. I know that's not a big deal today with the mega churches we have, but back then, that was a pretty big deal. He has this to say. Why is it that some Christians... Although they hear many sermons, make but slow advances in the divine life. It is because they neglect their closets and do not thoughtfully meditate on God's word. They love the wheat, but they do not grind it. They would have the corn, but they will not go forth in the fields to gather it. The fruit hangs upon the tree, but they will not pluck it. The water flows at their feet, but they will not stoop down to drink it. From such folly, deliver us, O Lord. Let's pray. Lord, your word is powerful. It is sharp. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It divides. Lord, we want to be pierced by your word. We want to, be, we want you to, to, to do surgery on us this morning. Or we need increased faith. We need to rely on you in prayer. But we feel so weak. 
Lord, often the, the, the problems of this life, Lord, which have nothing to do with your kingdom, nothing to do with your kingdom, Lord, they weigh in on us and they distract us. But Lord, we want our entire focus to be yours. We want all of our problems to be kingdom problems. We want all of our joys to be kingdom joys. And that only comes from an increased faith, and increased faith only comes from you. So we ask you, our great God, in the name of Jesus Christ, will you increase our faith? We beg you, increase the faith of this church. We want to see your glory in our town, in our nation, in our world. We want to see you. You are the object of our faith. We long to lay aside everything that would encumber us, every sin which causes us to, to, to get away from you, Lord, and draw near to you, Lord. We need more faith. We love you. We desire this, God. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.